So tell me, what are some things that you have since kind of shifted in terms of your personal theology? Okay. So like, I okay. think deconstruction now, it, a lot of it is just like, I don't want anything to do with being a Christian yep. because yep. blah, blah, blah. Yep. And I think in a way, uh, you know, how much hypocrisy there was where mm. guys would tell me, well, this is what I believe, mm -hmm. but this is what my denomination believes. Mm. The first time I ever heard the phrase suffer well mm. was from the reform camp. Mm. And I needed that. That's good. That's a much different definition of saved <laughs> than most people who go. Yeah. Bruce Lawn. All right. I have a very special in-house guest. One of the most interesting people, if I'm honest with you guys, that I've came across in this YouTube space. And we're going to get into all that without any further ado. Ladies and gentlemen, Pastor Signorelli, all the way from New York, Come originally on. from Indiana. Yeah. Man, thank you so much for being here. It's so good to be here. Yes. Can we get the mic just a little yeah, closer to you? Yeah. There yeah. We go. Okay. So I, I want to hear your story. I want to get into the details. Yeah. But I have to first just, the thing that's most interesting to me right now is you are a part of the deliverance movement with <laughs> yeah. the Demon Slayers. Shout out to Isaiah Saldivar. Shout out to uh, uh, Vlad, uh, Pastor Alexander Pagani. We've had him on the channel. Um, however, your background was in the Acts 29 movement. And I came up, reformed everything. Theology was a big deal from like 2009 to 2012. And Acts 29 was a big movement at the time. So how does that work? How does how does the charismatic side work with the Acts 29 side? And then and then we'll backtrack and yeah, kind of tell yeah. more of your story. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, well, before Acts 29, we got to go back even further. Okay. So I was raised by a single mom, welfare, five kids. Okay. And we went to storefront Pentecostal churches. Okay. And this is how I think the Acts 29 network actually grew in popularity. Because you have like children of the 70s and 80s mm -hmm. that are raised in charismania, uh -huh. and then they they have a, a choice to make. Do I completely abandon my faith, or mm. do I go deeper? Mm -hmm. So if you were to ask me how did Acts 29 explode in that, you know, like early 2000s, yes. I think it was a lot of people coming into adulthood and yep. saying, there's got to be more than what I saw in Pentecostalism. Uh -huh. You know, so that, so really... That's for me, that's how I started the journey. Got it. It was like, I know that what I was raised in, some of it was real, mm -hmm. a lot of it was emotionalism, mm -hmm. and what does the Bible actually say? And then yeah. that journey got me into the A29 circles. Got it. Okay, that's helpful. So for those folks that don't know, yeah. Acts 29 is a reformed, Calvinistic-leaning church planting network. Yep. Uh, I believe it was started by Mark Driscoll? Or yeah. some some of his friends, yeah. And then Matt Chandler was president up until recently, right? And so these are guys that, uh, to say the least, aren't Pentecostal, right? right? They're they're Reformed, they're Calvinist, they're in that framing, and uh, and yet, but but there are some of them that are a bit charismatic. I know Driscoll was charismatic and believed right. in the gifts and all that kind of stuff. So, in terms of your framing, you come from a Pentecostal background, right? Storefront, and then you end up amongst these reformed Calvinist folks. Yeah, how, how did that happen? <laughs> well, like I said, you just have to make a choice. Do I abandon my faith altogether because I think that these are just ignorant hillbillies? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's really, I mean, I'm just keeping it 100. I mean, when you're raised in charismatic Pentecostal environments, yeah. I was a first generation college student on both sides of my family. Mm. So I'm listening to people give these incredibly intelligent, articulate discussions and arguments and i'm thinking this never happened in church mm. growing up mm -hmm. what else is there and then before i know it i'm i'm in the a29 network which like you said mark driscoll at one point dropped an 800 plus page book of doctrine i remembered 
you know, doctrine and theology. I yes. read it. <laughs> and so it was like, you know, and I think that there was a lot of good that came out of mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. because it was guys like me that actually, you know, this was like pre-YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's like you couldn't just go in and type in, yeah. what's the answer to this question? Yes. You had to go on a, a discovery journey mm-hmm. and have discussions. And But I think the unintended consequence of the whole Christian liberties conversation within the A29. Mm -hmm. And again, it was just me and a whole bunch of guys getting completely wasted theology on tap. Mm. Because it's like, oh man, look, we're, we're free from... Uh, the constraints of Pentecostalism, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, like we're going to, we're going to have craft beer and read an 800 page <laughs> book, you know? And so I got sucked into that scene. Okay. And, it, and it's like, my wife didn't know, should I be happy or sad that he's going to Bible study? Cause he's definitely coming home trashed. Whoa. So it was a so weird. So it wasn't like you guys were enjoying the liberty of alcohol. <laughs> you guys were abusing the liberty of but alcohol. That, and that, that's ultimately where I landed with all this stuff yeah. is like, I think a lot of the A29 network that I was a part of, the yeah. people that I made relationships with, it was some of it was true intellectualism, mm. some of it was pseudo intellectual, and it was a response to Pentecostalism. Mm. It was almost like, in a way, the, the the reformed version of what we're seeing in deconstruction now. Whoa. Okay. So, like, I okay. think deconstruction now, it, a lot of it is just like, I don't want anything to do with being a Christian yep. because yep. blah, blah, blah. Yep. And I think in a way, A29 was was our version of that. Mm. If that That's makes any no, sense. No, that makes sense. It's, it's, it was an overcorrection of sorts. Yeah, I think it was. Okay. And I'm not trying, I know that there's people watching right now who are going to be incredibly offended by that. Sure. Because they're, they're hardcore Calvinists, yep. Tulip, the whole thing. Yep. But for me, I didn't know, I never heard the term double predestination. Yeah. I know, you know, and so for me, or I didn't know that there was four classical stances on hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I just, it's heaven or hell, real binary, right. very simple. Right. So for me, especially remember there was a whole Rob Bell era yes. that sort of coexisted yes. with that. I was in Northwest Indiana, uh-huh. Rob Bell was in Michigan, mm-hmm. and so I was affected by that whole emergent church mm-hmm. movement. Which now we would just call progressive Christianity, probably. Right. Yeah. And at the time, that was blowing so okay so I <laughs> you got, know I I got no 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 I got so I was many in questions. it man <laughs> so so as you're a part of this network and you're reformed and you're having craft beers and were you guys brewing your own beers too we did I didn't we asked the pastors that brew their own beer during this <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious cigars cigars pipes pipes yeah was there ever a time beanies <laughs> <laughs> was there ever a time where you stumbled across something and you're like, oh, wait, we believe this? Like double predestination, I think, is one of those, right? Predestination yeah. is like God saves people. Double predestination is like God saves people and chooses who goes to hell. Right. You have no choice. People are reprobate. Was there anything that you stumbled across that, like, as you're a part of this, you're kind of like, oh, snap, like, we also believe this? Right. And, that, and it, and it kind of frazzled, dazzled you a bit? Yeah, I mean, I think you mentioned part of it. Yeah. I think the other thing, too, was, like, how much— confusion there was concerning the gifts of the spirit and mm. how how just things like that where you know and again i'm just bringing it this is like raw unfiltered sure, sure, sure. Uh, you know how much hypocrisy there was mm. where guys would tell me well this is what i believe mm-hmm. but this is what my denomination believes mm. and i started to realize that there was a lot of well let me put it like this there was a lack of integrity mm. to what people intrinsically believe versus what they extrinsically said because the denominationalism and the paychecks connected to that. And, mm. you know, so for me, 
I think what makes my story different is I was not in full-time ministry at that time. Okay. I was in like part-time, so I was bivocational. Got it. And so were you youth pastoring, executive pastor? Like, yeah, what was I was your like role? an associate pastor. Associate pastor at a Acts 29 church. Yeah, and the funny thing is I interviewed to be an Acts 29 uh, church planner at one Which point. Which I heard was a gnarly process. <laughs> I heard they made you jump through a lot of hoops. It was. Yeah. I mean, it was rigorous. Yeah. But again, it's it's it was all of it. It was the good, the bad, the ugly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because... I read the Bible more in that season of my life than Mm -hmm. I had previously Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. that environment demanded it, you know? But then also it it was kind of like anti-celebrity pastor, but you were, but it was celebrity pastor. With a celebrity pastor leading. It was so, yeah, it was (laughs) ironic. And it was like, okay, so um, you don't wear suits because that was like, you know, but, but the clothes you're wearing are equivalent to the cost of a suit. Yeah. You're still on some fly stuff. Yeah. It was like, you know, and we had a guy in Northwest Indiana and you guys can look this up who grew a massive, uh, 829 church. Mm -hmm. He had Driscoll fly out. Mm -hmm. And, but when the finances of that church were released and people saw the receipts of the craft beer of the outfits, I mean, he went down. And that entire really? ministry tanked. Wow. So it was just like, like I said, there was a little bit of irony. Yeah. It was like, we're anti this, but we're going to manifest the same behaviors just with a different brand. How interesting. How interesting is that? Yeah. That like in, in an attempt to want to be anti-establishment or cool, rebellious, yeah. whatever, that the, unfortunately, and, I, and I'm still a fan of Driscoll and I've yeah. communicated with him a little bit, but that the that the same things they found problematic they kind of became victims of in terms of the systems around and the lack of accountability and the lack of structure around some of these guys. Yeah. It is it's ironic. You know, it's like you get to the same destination from a different road. Mm. And that's what I think was interesting. So for me when I look back at that time of my life, mm-hmm. I was almost like I I wanted to be able to defend my faith. Yeah, I wanted to know the authorial intention, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, yep. historic, and I, I this historic context. Yes. And I really it sharpened me. Yeah. But I think some of that hypocrisy I had, I was like, because really I was struggling in my own personal life, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of ministry I didn't get. Mm. And there's a lot of ministry I did get from Acts 29. Got it. So like, for example, like in the Pentecostal world, mm-hmm. I was always trained, if you have a problem, pray it away. Mm-hmm. The first time I ever heard the phrase suffer well Mm. was from the reform camp. Mm. And I needed that. That's good. It was like suffer well. It's Mm. like, well, my dad died of a genetic brain disease. There's a 50% chance I have it and I'll die before the age of 60. I'm freaking out. I could have given it to my daughter if I have it. Suffer well. Mm. You know, and that paradigm, I mean, I needed that though. That's good. So there was just things about the nature and the character of God and his sovereignty that was completely missing from the Pentecostal perspective. Yes. And I and it was like I needed that. Yeah. A matter of fact, I tell people I don't feel like I truly got saved until I went through the whole A29 really? training. Yeah, because my It under- definitely felt like we got it like something else happened. Like there was moments where yeah. I remember like put my hand now, I remember going from atheist to theist. Yeah. I remember putting my hand up and accepting Jesus. Then I remember being convinced Jesus is God. Then I remember uh like the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. Yeah. There was something there. I don't I don't know I don't know what to make sense of it theologically right. and how it worked, but something happened. And then it was like the reformed theology, I'm a wretched sinner and am deserving of wrath. Yeah. And Jesus died for my sin. And like the the reality of that was almost like another salvation almost. Yeah. I, for me it was. Yeah. Well be that whole total depravity mm-hmm. element. Mm-hmm. Because for me it was almost like 
you know, you're bad and now you're going to be good. Mm. Not you're totally depraved and now you're going to be alive. Mm. You know, it, it was just, I, and I think for me, uh, my dad actually committed murder. He went to prison Whoa. for murder, died prematurely, like I mentioned. And so my thing was, it was like I was just trying to be a good guy. Yeah. You know, yeah. but then I remember screwing up in marriage in that time, mm. struggling with alcoholism because I was dealing with my dad's death and all this stuff. All, all while being all at the same time. Wow. All at the same time. Huh. And through the in the midst of that, I remember having that recognition of like, I can't be good. Huh. I, I don't physically have the ability. This is not something I can be counseled into. This is not a psychological thing that yeah. it could happen in a, in a therapy session. Yeah. And just that realization of um, without the gospel, I am my dad on my best day. Wow. And it was like, I remember it hitting me, but for some reason, that whole, like, let's end the, you know, the non-denominational Christianity, you know, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse nine, raise your hand, yep. say this prayer and yep. you're saved. Yep. It, it didn't hit the same mm -hmm. as, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the total depravity side. Yeah. I mean, to me that when, when you, when you just said that, it made me think about even the concept of what does mean, what does it mean to be saved yeah. in our modern evangelical non-denominational yeah. context? Cause it means very different things, right? What we're talking about is the the understanding and the reality of being a wretched sinner deserving of wrath and, and knowing that there's nothing good yeah. that, that i can do to merit the favor of god and from that jesus rescuing me giving me a new heart new desire um that's a much different definition of saved <laughs> than most people who go yeah. well, do, do you think you know once saved always saved it's like well, what do you mean by saved yeah. what are you saying like if someone put their hand up at some revival once upon a time right like are they are they for sure in are they like I mean, say, born again, transformed, regenerated, filled with the Holy Ghost, totally different thing than I think, not, not a totally different thing, salvation yeah. is salvation, but different in the sense of like, what are we talking about? Soteriology, it's not just a prayer yeah. and, a, and a hyper grace or a, a, a you know, name it, name it, and then all of a sudden you are. Like, yeah. there's a regeneration that happens in the heart of a believer. And, you know, for me, it was a process. Some people say it's an instantaneous event. Some people have. I wish I knew like the date I got born again. Like I, I don't. I don't. You know, folks got like their yeah, Bible. Yeah, the birthday. Like, I yeah, know. Yeah, I got yeah. my new birth. It was uh, three years of wrestling yeah. and fighting with God. You know? When did the disciples get saved? Mm. You know, I always ask people. I look at it. Well, eventually, this Acts twenty nine network mm -hmm. led me to the Gospel Coalition. Okay, I ended up spending two years with Tim Keller in New York City. Mm -hmm. Which, if you want to understand the gospel, I think that that is his. Tim Keller's amazing. Amazing. Oh, and so, yeah, I mean, for me, I spent two years just with Keller in the epicenter of like gospel teaching. Mm -hmm. And that really helped me a lot because um, just understanding it at what at what point did the disciples get saved? And so then the question became not was there a moment where they accepted Christ, mm -hmm. but are they were they headed in the direction of the cross? Yes. In what proximity to the cross? Yes. Or because there could be somebody standing under the cross but facing away, mm. and there could be someone far off but looking in the direction of the cross. And so it was like being with Keller taught me it's about direction, not about proximity, mm. and just blew my mind. Wow. You know, it's That's like, good. am I looking at the cross yeah. even if I'm far away versus someone who's standing right below it, looking in the opposite direction? Yeah. And just wrestling with that stuff. That's so good. Now. How do you then transition? Well, I got another question about the Acts right now. Was coming up in the Pentecostal circles, yeah. was there ever a part of you that kind of like, you know, because Pentecostal is a modern day, but mm -hmm. it was only about 100, 120 years old, right, right from the Azusa right. Pacific Revival. Was there ever also a part of you that went like, oh man, it's cool to be a part of something that seems to have much more 
history to it. Yeah. Talking about dead guys and Martin Luther <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know Charles Spurgeon. Right, right. I didn't know right. any about any yeah. of these guys. Like I loosely heard about Luther. Yeah. But I didn't know about Charles Spurgeon, Jonathan right. Edwards, Wesley, any none of this stuff was, was all foreign to me. Right. So there was a there was there was like, oh, this is cool that there's some history attached to this. Right. Was there some of that for you as oh, well? Oh, yeah. It, well, again, I even started this by talking about storefront churches mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just the concept of we're going to, it's a DIY. Mm. And there's a lack of accountability with that. Mm -hmm. So I really like the idea that, oh, this belief has actually survived hundreds of years, not dozens you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but you know, and so there was, there was, but at the same time, even when you study the reformers and you study revivalists and yes. you hear all these stories, yeah. I think what was hard for them to amend was how could the gifts and, and operation of the spirit be mm -hmm. happening, but also this, and mm -hmm. just watching guys that I respected try to wrestle with those questions. Mm -hmm. And then knowing that I came from Pentecostalism, where I do feel like a couple of times in my childhood, I did see the real thing. Amen. How do you make that all? How do you marry those worlds? Do you think Driscoll married those worlds well? And again, not not, not as an endorsement of his right. his Marcel and any of that kind right. of stuff. But but in terms of his theology, it always seemed like he would talk about the prophetic yeah. and he would talk about visions and dreams and he would talk about these supernatural things that that would happen. Um, but he still held very close to you know the solas and all that. Well, I'll tell you what, I in a lot of ways I probably get in trouble for saying this, but he's an OG OG demon slayer. Mm. If you listen to his 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 preaching on spiritual warfare, it's mm. incredible. Mm. And it, I don't think that anyone in the deliverance community would necessarily disagree with what I've heard him say. Mm -hmm. So you're right. He's very much open to the supernatural realm, mm -hmm. and he t and if you follow him. But here's another thing though. And, and this is something I've been facing more and more. You know, you become this avatar. You know, you become, like, people don't actually, like, I, okay, Jimmy Swaggart was a guy that, you know, mm -hmm. a, a very scandalous, controversial dude. Sure, sure. I only knew him as the guy crying, I have failed. You know, mm -hmm. that classic Jimmy mm -hmm. Swaggart. Yep. I remember one time saying, I'm going to actually watch a Jimmy Swaggart sermon. Mm -hmm. I want And it was mind-blowing. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is why he's famous. Mm. I think Driscoll is more known for his controversy than mm -hmm. he is for... I, I, I think a lot of people have never watched an entire Driscoll sermon, mm -hmm. yeah. you know? Yeah. And But but to answer your question directly, yeah, I've heard him teach a lot on yeah. the supernatural, spiritual warfare. I mean, there's a crazy story I know. Uh, John Piper talks about casting a demon out of a girl in college. Mm. You know, but you don't think of Piper as a deliverance worker, yeah. but he's got a story. Yeah, yeah, you that's know? <laughs> good. That's good. That's good. So how do you then kind of evolve from Acts 29 yeah. to now you plant one of the fastest growing churches in the country, a massive church in New York City. You guys have over 7,000 people that gather with you guys across three campuses. Yeah, that three camp campuses, global house churches. House churches everywhere. Um how, how did that happen? Because that's a, that's yeah. a, that was seven years ago you planted yep. the church, and so how did how does that go from Acts twenty nine, associate pastor drinking right. beers, you know, <laughs> reading Driscoll's Doctrine of Theology, right. to having one of the fastest growing churches in America? Yeah, so we're in our sixth year, seven years total that we've been grinding V one church out, and yeah, so so going back to that story when I'm you know theology on tap, mm -hmm. Acts twenty nine, reading books of theology. I really was struggling a lot, and I see how, in a lot of ways, God didn't in, intend all that, but used it, mm -hmm. if that makes sense, yeah, because yeah. I was navigating through these concepts and working working out my salvation mm -hmm. with fear and trembling Amen. kind of thing. Amen. And then I come out of that season, and I, and I guess really what it was is like, what do I believe? Mm -hmm. I know what Acts 29 believes. I know what the Gospel Coalition believes. Mm -hmm. I know what the Pentecostals believe. What do I believe? Mm -hmm. 
And some of it I'm certain, yeah. and some of it I'm not. And, and so I started to go on that journey. And I think that good leaders don't always tell you what to think, but they invite you into the wrestling and they invite you into the conversations. Mm. And so for, for me, I think it's like, uh, obviously in the, in the essentials, it's like, no, this is definitive. We mm -hmm. do know this. Mm -hmm. But in a lot of those other issues, it was like, well, let's look at it together. And finding out that people, uh, sometimes they like personality-driven sermons, mm -hmm. but all the time they love uh, learning the Bible. Mm. And so at the end of the day, I was like, I'm a Bible teacher. Yeah. And if you want to learn the Bible together, I'll actually show you what it says. And so I started going on that journey and, and meeting people and discipling people. And so when Hurricane Sandy happened, mm -hmm. I'm watching the news and it says, uh, you know, New York City got rocked. So I hit up my wife and we were living in Northwest Indiana. And I said, man, I just feel compelled to go to New York City and just serve people. Mm. Uh, that's when they were rationing the gas out at the mm. gas stations. People were in warming tents, whatever. So I brought an acoustic guitar and a chainsaw. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm going to cut down tree limbs with the chainsaw and I'm going to lead worship mm. with the acoustic guitar and serve people spiritually and physically. Wow. That was my goal. Wow. So all of a sudden I get to um, New York City mm -hmm. and as soon as I'm driving in, and I had been there several times before, but something different happened. And, and are you in ministry at this point? Yes. Are you working a job? Like, what's Yeah, the, I was both. I've both. always been like a serial entrepreneur, got you. Uh, like a local church associate pastor, a worship leader. I was just one of those guys, it, eclectic, yeah, yeah, yeah. eclectic guy. Yeah, yeah. And um, I call my wife and I'm like, Julie... I, I feel like we're going to live here. I feel like we're going to launch a church here. I feel like, you know, whatever. <laughs> she's like, what? Um, but if you know my wife, she's down. You from know, Indiana, too. From Indiana, though. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah. But Julie is like uh, Mother Teresa, like hot millennial Mother Teresa. <laughs> so because like she just loves people. And uh -huh. so anyways, I'm like, Julie, I think. And she's like, all right, well, let's see. You know, kind of like my husband's on another adventure. Mm -hmm. But I got to New York City and I just saw the pain in people. Mm. And I was leading worship in these warming tents. People were weeping. I'm praying with them. I'm clearing all the debris with the ch chainsaw or whatever. And I just fell in love with the city. Mm. And that's how it started. So I basically went back home after that trip and then just basically kept coming back to New York City once a month with my wife, mm -hmm. playing gigs in secular venues. I would lead worship sets in secular venues in Manhattan that's dope. and all this stuff and just kind of cracking it open. Yeah. But I, I really didn't have a vision of like a big church. Mm -hmm. My, I, I'm a big like old school Keith Green, like uh, Jesus people, mm -hmm. you know, late 70s kind of fan. Yeah. And so I had this vision of like a disciple making church. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I, I want to go to New York City and make real disciples that make disciples. But what I didn't factor is when we finally sold our house, cashed out our retirement and went all in on New York City. Mm -hmm. Um, 18 people turned into 100, turned into 200, turned into 300 because it was disciples making disciples. Wow. That made, and I, I didn't even think about multiplication. Yeah. So just to bring it all full circle, when I go back to like the Pentecostal days, the reform days, the A29 days, the gospel coalition days, being with Tim Keller, you put that all in a cauldron, <laughs> you mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. and that's really what our church is. It's like the goal is could it be 100% word and 100% spirit? Mm. You know, what does that look like? Um, and then can we live in that tension? Because yeah. we've got people in our church. Like, let me give you a classic example. We have people in our church that are old school charismatics that believe in tithing. Mm -hmm. And we've got other people that are like, that's ridiculous. We're in the new covenant. We don't give under compulsion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they're both sitting next to each other giving during the giving portion. Mm -hmm. And I was telling uh, some of our team, I'm like, you have no idea how rare that is. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because everything in the kingdom is so binary. Yes. And we, it's just, you know, yeah. and it, it, I almost think the kingdom is a lot like a, like an, like a 90s era mall. Yeah. Where it's like you have Abercrombie and everybody goes in there, and then you have Hot Topic, <laughs> everybody goes in there. It's like pick your genre. Yeah, that's good. But we're all buying clothes. Yes. yes. But you know, and so I think for me, it's like I we're like in a lot of ways. I try to, like for example, I got a dude who's like I don't believe in tithing. Mm -hmm. I'm New Covenant, and he says it like that. Mm -hmm. um, he's like, but I do believe that when you look at Acts two forty four and beyond, they're meeting all their needs amongst each other that had to exceed ten percent. Yep. So I'm going to exceed 10%. Yep. And then the guy next to him who's like Bible Belt, you know, Texan, is like, I actually agree with you, um, but I believe in the tithe, but I go above and beyond it. Yeah, yeah. So we just so have found the way to... it's the same thing. Yeah. But from actual functionality, it's the same thing, but it's the approach on how yeah. they're doing You're it. You're both given yeah. 20% yeah. from a different theological perspective. Yeah. And I think a lot of what we do is semantics. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, the tithing thing is interesting because and, and, and I've gone I've gone back and forth on it. We 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 give above ten percent. We yeah. have we have for a very long time. But I think about the person that's on a fixed income. I think about the person yeah. that's on disability. I think about the person that literally has just enough. They're not squandering money, right? Yeah. And I think it's dangerous un to put that person under compulsion and be like, if you don't tithe, yeah. your house is cursed, <laughs> ah, Malachi, right? I yeah. that's when I go, whoa, 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 you know. But I think as a general principle, it's great, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think it's and, and 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 I would agree that most people should probably give way above ten percent from a stewardship standpoint. But I think when you're talking about single mothers, when you're talking about folks yeah. on, on on disability, folks on fixed incomes, I think it can get really tricky when yeah. you start like demanding that and, and and let's be honest like the the average christian doesn't even give five percent right you know so it's yeah. like maybe we got to rethink how we're communicating these things well you know? and and is the church demonstrating like church of acts model where they're mm. actually meeting those people's needs and contributing you know a couple of weeks ago i i just asked the audience at our indiana campus mm -hmm. if you're a single mom or a single dad mm -hmm. because single dads get yep. missed out on all the time would you be willing to come up front mm. and it was during the offering portion mm -hmm. and i said you know what guys i'm just going to assume that all of you in this church are generous mm -hmm. i'm going to assume that you're on reoccurring giving or whatever you're doing to steward your finances but i want to ask that you'd be willing to to give to all of them right now mm. And I mean, people were coming up just just giving hundreds mm. to these single moms and single dads. They were doubled over crying. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this to me, this is what revival looks like. Yeah. But what happens is sometimes we can live so much in the argument mm -hmm. that we miss like what is the ultimate outcome yeah. of this discussion? If the outcome of the discussion is we're mad at each other, yeah. I, let's let the outcome of the discussion about this theological stance be single moms and dads get make let's make it rain on them. Come on. So I think it's kind of like that's the V1 perspective. Perspective on yeah. stuff. It's like, hey, you could be double predestination, but let's go evangelize like we believe everybody's going to be saved. Come on. Even if you think someone. So I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more about reverse engineering the outcome. Mm. And I'm like, I can cut it up with the best of you. Mm -hmm. You know, I argue with Tim Keller. He destroyed me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, what was this? Uh, when I was when I was in his uh, incubator. Yeah. You know, and we did like a women. In, we did <laughs> like a, uh, women in ministry. Women in ministry. Okay. And I mean, he ate me alive. I mean, he's a genius though, so it's it's an unfair advantage um, <laughs> bi biologically. His yeah. IQ is probably like two hundred. <laughs> but. Um, but I, you know, I can hold my own. I know what the Bible says sure. about it. And I know the different classical. Yeah, you can move the chess. Did pieces. he change your mind? No, but I'll tell you what did happen. And I, I've alluded to this a lot in the Demon Slayers podcast. Mm -hmm. So there was about thirty-five or forty men in this room, mm -hmm. and you know, the Ke Keller has this like aura on mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. 
And so people don't challenge them, but I, I'm kind of punk rock. Like mm -hmm. I've always had that punk rock ethos mm -hmm. where it's like, well, we're in here to learn, yeah. <laughs> like, like school me, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like, cause, cause I, I do support, I have a weird stance. I support uh, female preachers and pastors, but I also am hardcore, um, like patriarchal hierarchy. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's like, like, for example, my wife is not the co-lead pastor of our church, yeah. but I, I serve her so well yeah. and, and she is so honored yeah. and she carries influence and authority in our house yeah. that she doesn't feel the need for that title. Yeah. So, so are, or would you say that where you and Keller differ would be, um, like, like I believe women can be in ministry yeah. with the caveat that they can't be church planters, church elders. Yeah, correct. You know? Yeah, we're in, we believe the same. Okay, Because cool, there's cool, that cool. egalitarian complementarianism, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I kind of brought in that nuanced, yeah. like, I believe in hierarchy. But Tim doesn't believe in women preaching at well, all. Well, here's the thing. He had taken more of a traditional stance on it. Huh. And what was funny, but this is what I'm saying. This is okay. Look, like I'm giving you like this. This this is some Don't, good content. We, we cannot use the word. We can't use the word nuance. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So listen. I'm just joking. No, no. Because I feel like I'm. I could get in trouble for this sure. podcast, but I want to. I want to give that sure, sure, to, sure. as a gift to to, to yeah. you and your audience. Yeah, I appreciate it. Because I've been in the ivory tower. I've been in the inner sanctum. I've yeah. been in the upper echelon. Yeah. And they would they would have women come in. Mm -hmm over lunch hour mm -hmm. while the men were seated mm -hmm. eating mm -hmm. and then they would present and they would have a discussion with us. Mm -hmm. And what I called Tim Keller out about mm -hmm. was that's teaching. Come on, bro. It is. <laughs> like, it is. like, and, and, but again, yeah. but no, we're, we're all seated and it's a woman coming in and we're having a discussion while we're eating. And, and th that's what I'm talking. I'm like, no, let's just be honest. Yeah. Like, let's call it what it is. Yeah. She's a female teacher. Yeah. Or, or, or just say like, I don't feel they should teach in a Sunday morning pulpit context. That's a bit different than yes. I don't think they can exercise a teaching gift. Right, but then mm. sometimes it's like you don't want to say that phrase because mm. now you've got it in the in the archives. Mm. So I I was that guy that was kind of like a thorn, mm -hmm. you know? And like I would come <laughs> and be like, I'm sure they love you for that. This. But what I was going to say is like when I, when we talked about women in ministry and all those guys were there, there was definitely I'm trying to give a really fair objective, maybe 30% of them that mm. found me individually and mm. said, you know, I actually agree with you, mm. but, cool. but, but in my, in my denomination, at my church, in my context, yeah. I can't really pursue that. Yeah, that's good. So, okay. So tell me, what are some things that you have since kind of shifted in terms of your personal theology? Right? Yeah. Because Acts 29, I mean, they had a laundry list of stuff you have to believe. I'm assuming you don't right. believe all those same things no. anymore. So, what are some like key things that? Because I, I feel like the charismatic is 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 um can be complementary with the right. Acts 29 stuff, um, but outside of like the charismatics and the, and, and the gift stuff, like yeah. what are some things where you're like, well, I don't know about this thing anymore. Right. Yeah. I mean, going back to the double predestination or destination conversation, you know, for me, it's more my understanding of the human will has evolved and changed. Okay. And, you know, I kind of went full circle. Okay. And, and that was a funny thing. I remember you get those revelations and you're like, man, my uh, my old school Pentecostal mom was right, but mm. she doesn't know why she's right. Mm. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like she just believes it, but actually she landed on target for that. So for me, I think it's some of those conversations, okay. you know, about the nature of God and are you familiar with like uh, Dr. Layton Flowers and provisionism? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I think I think that's a to me that's a good bridge between Calvinism, which right. he was a Calvinist, and like full on Armenianism. Yes, right? yes. And it's I think it's a good good his little provide uh, acronym, which if you're listening or watching this, you should go look it up. It's really good. The provide acronym I think is really good because it still affirms original sin and it still affirms the providence of God, 
but it, it, it doesn't classify faith as a work. And in a Calvinist yes. paradigm, faith is a work that only God can do for you. You can't do it for you, but they yep. say faith is not a work. Yeah, actually, I have a I have a, a friend who's a Masonic Jew, and he actually said that works are a form of allegiance. Mm-hmm. Works are a manifestation of allegiance, mm-hmm. and so like the allegiance is intrinsic. But like you, when when you have an allegiance to a country mm-hmm. or a king, then works are going to be the the um, the unintended consequence of that allegiance. Yeah. And so I think again, you know, what I can kind of came out with is. There's binary thinking. It's either one or the other. Mm-hmm. And then there's this other perspective where it's like, well, what if there is what if it's paradoxical? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that embracing that paradoxical nature to mm-hmm. say, um, what if both of these things are true? Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's why there's so much YouTube discussion about it, is because they're both and it's not saying that it's not like saying they're both right. Mm-hmm. It's just saying there's aspects that you're advocating on that are that can also be true why this is true. Mm. So I think that was a lot of what what I, you know, got you kind of went through. Got you. And then when where in the process did you have a kind of like a full-on embrace of deliverance? And I have no idea yeah, yeah. how often like deliverance happens at your church. Yeah. I know having Pagani on, like he said, it, it doesn't have like once every six months to mm-hmm. do a deliverance thing, which can be kind of confusing. People see him, discover him on YouTube, want to go be part yeah. of his church, and then they're like, I thought we yeah. slay demons every Sunday, right? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So like where did when did you discover deliverance in the way that that you you're probably known for now online yeah. at least? Yep. And how does that practically look on a Sunday morning? Yeah. So when I was a teenager, I, I was I went to church in South Chicago, mm-hmm. and I, we were like the only white family in South Chicago, mm-hmm. and it was just um, it was just a small, just kind of a small Pentecostal church, mm-hmm. and predominantly it was um, predominantly it was like just people from the neighborhood, and then the neighborhood started to shift, and uh, people from Puerto Rico started moving in. Mm. But then these Puerto Ricans came in, and they were like, we come from multi-generational witchcraft, and then mm-hmm. demons were manifesting, it got crazy. Mm-hmm. We had no idea to how to do, de- this was the na- late 90s. Mm-hmm. We had no idea how to deal with that. So it was just like, you know, just people screaming, come out, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then there was a guy uh, named John Eckhart, mm-hmm. And John Eckhart is kind of like a prolific deliverance guy. He's written all these warfare manuals and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And he is based out of Chicago. So mm-hmm. back in the 90s, he would send teams into different local churches mm-hmm. to try to help with deliverance. And so someone from our church reached out to John Eckhart mm-hmm. and said, we've got all these people coming from Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. They're, they've been involved in witchcraft. Mm-hmm. Demons are manifesting. What do we do? Mm-hmm. So as a teenager, I'm basically being trained in mm-hmm. deliverance. So, so my thing is, I thought it was normal. Mm-hmm. Like, because mm. in my environment, it, it, in South Chicago, it was like, yeah, people just do witchcraft. Mm. And then they're, they're coming in, they're being confronted with the gospel and demons are manifesting. That's normal. You ask, or uh, Mark chapter five, mm-hmm. whatever, you mm-hmm. see it all through the Bible. Mark mm-hmm. one is in a synagogue, a guy screaming out. Mm-hmm. So then I go to college, um, and I, I went to Indiana University. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even have a vision for full-time ministry. I didn't even think like that because mm-hmm. I never even met a full-time minister growing up because mm-hmm. I was raised in the hood. Everybody had two jobs and right. pastored or whatever. Right, right, right. So then, uh, you know, you kind of go through A29, blah, blah, blah. And you did hear stories, whether it's Mark Driscoll. I, I mentioned John Piper from kind of the Gospel Coalition world. Mm-hmm. They all have stories of demons and deliverance. So even within traveling within different bubbles, mm-hmm. you'll hear enough about demons and deliverance to normalize it. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, 
Um, and I've always done deliverance, but mm-hmm. for me, I've always considered myself a gospel preacher. Mm-hmm. And I look at like supernatural healing and I look at deliverance as something that just accompanies preaching the gospel. Mm-hmm. It's not a guarantee it's going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, and I always say we're not, we're seeking the deliverer, mm-hmm. not deliverance. Good. We're seeking the healer, not healing. Yeah. And so the emphasis for me has always been Jesus, mm-hmm. but the, the, you know, like I said, the consequence of that is, is healing and deliverance. So with V1 Church, it was like, of course it happened. We, if we would pray for people just like any church in America does, mm-hmm. and we would see healings. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons why I think our church in New York grew is uh, like some of those early stories. We had a, a guy come in who was a surgeon mm-hmm. who had back problems. We prayed for his back, and his back was healed. Mm-hmm. And as a surgeon, he's like, I don't have a framework to explain what happened wow. to me. So, you know, that yeah. that's complicated. Yes. It's complicated because it's like these are not just like low intelligence, emotional sure. fanatics. Sure. These are like New Yorkers yeah, yeah, yeah. who will tell you straight up. So anyways, and then same thing with deliverance, people manifesting demons and getting free. It was really in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm living in New York City. The shutdowns, the lockdowns happen. You remember seeing the refrigerated trucks where they were loading mm-hmm. the bodies yeah. in? That was yeah. like literally in my neighborhood, wow. one of them. Wow. So it's complete panic. Yeah. Remember that point in the pandemic where they didn't know what it was yet? Yes. And everybody's freaking out. Yes. It's like, I wouldn't even let my family leave our apartment. Mm-hmm. And my dad's going to go out and get food like I'm the hero, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. That in that era, um, my wife was like, Mike, you know, you need to go live on your phone and you just need to minister. You need people need comfort, they need peace. Mm-hmm. I really had not thought of myself as an influencer or or um a matter of fact, I thought it was cringy, mm. you know, holding your phone like, what's up, guys? You know, that persona. Yeah. And I was like, No, I'm a real pastor. Mm-hmm. And but it was I really got to shout out my wife. Mm-hmm. She was like, You need to people need it. Yeah. They just need, so I basically started going live. I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I'd have uh, 90 people on, 100. Yeah. And I'm running out of topics because now I'm going live every day. I'm used to preaching once a week. Mm-hmm. And then one day I woke up, and a lot of the way that I discover my purpose is always, what do I think the devil doesn't think I'll do? Mm. Like that's one of when Christians are like, how do I discover my purpose? Well, do what the devil doesn't think you'll do. Mm-hmm. There's something in that. Mm. And so I was like, getting more and more comfortable going live. And I was like, I bet the devil doesn't think I'll confront him live. Mm. So that's how it started. Mm. And then the other thing is I tried so hard to be perceived as this intellectual Christian Mm. and this Bible-based guy Mm. that I also was like, man, there's something in my ego Mm -hmm. that doesn't want to be lumped in with all those Mm. deliverance people. Interesting. But I think I could teach it in a way they don't teach it. That's how it started. I think I can steward that. I think I could communicate it. And that's how it all started. But Mm -hmm. uh, because I still, because it still needs to be exposed. Yep. So then all of a sudden, the first day I went in, it was like Deliverance 101. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, my live stream goes from 90 to 600, 700, 800, 1,000, 2,000. And I'm tripping because I'm like, this is blowing up. Mm-hmm. And then I just kept going. It, t- it Basically, all the comments were asking me questions. So I ended up doing this like 16-part series every day during the lockdowns on mm-hmm. deliverance, mm-hmm. and it just evolved. Interesting. And then I got reached out to by Isaiah, who I really didn't know who he was. Yeah. You know, and he's like, let's stream together. And yeah. then the, it just started popping off. That's cool. That's awesome, man. And so... On a Sunday morning, if people yeah. show up to your church, what can they expect? Just, just kind of like a regular worship yeah, message? Yeah, that's a great question. And then there's there's prayer, and sometimes this deliverance happens, sometimes it doesn't. Like, what does that look like? It's one of those things where 
Like, are there flags? We, well, yeah, that's a great. We got question. we got flags. Okay, in my church, I just and wanna, I, I still don't understand the flags. No yeah, one, I'm like, why do we got flags? And everyone's like, <laughs> has like a good answer for me. I just go, all right, cool, man. I guess I guess we do yeah. flags here. I'm like a super <laughs> practical meets supernatural. Okay, I like so that. for example, I've traveled through Israel. Okay. I've got friends who are Jews. A shofar was meant to be blown in like outdoors mm-hmm. in large environments. Bringing that into like your 5,000 square foot church is probably not a good idea. It's okay. just not practical. Mm-hmm. So for everybody watching, don't bring shofars to V1 church, you know? <laughs> and then a lot of times, and I, I know I just offended some people, but and a, but a lot of times too, shofars are like talismans. They become a form of witchcraft because people think there's power in the shofar. Whoa. And I've confronted a lot of people. I'm like, what do you think that thing's doing that, yeah. that's more powerful than the cross, bro? Yeah. yeah. So so that's how I feel about shofars. Okay, respect. Uh, flags, and and I'm going to lump flags in with dancing. Okay. Because I used to, and I still preach a lot in Latin American nations. Sure. And I've seen flags and dancing combined, and yeah. it's moved me. Uh-huh. But again, if you don't have a designated space for it, and you're going to clock somebody with a flag, because you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, I we have like a little s- space by the side. Yeah, so yeah. will you see a flag? Yes. Do we always have enough room for it? Yeah. No, yeah. but I'm not against it. Sure. We did have a whole family uh, show up with tambourines, okay. like an entire family. Respect. And Were they on beat? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's the L. <laughs> yeah, That's I know. The, if they were on beat, it would have been a vibe. You no, know, I'm telling you, it was an entire family. <laughs> oh my and, gosh. But my thing too is like, if we believe we're doing this for an audience of one, yeah. it's for the Lord. Yeah. Obviously, we're doing it with excellence. Yes. And then we have a broadcast that, like you mentioned, reaches thousands of people that yes. need our church. Yes. We have people from the Philippines and all these other countries yeah. that our church is their church. And if you hear six tambourines in the background, you know what I mean? So, so to me, it's like all of that, yep. balancing yep. that out. So yep. you'll see that. But specifically deliverance, it's like what it's kind of like, okay, let me emotional contagion. Okay. It's like the Beatles. Okay. Once footage started coming out of girls like passing mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. seeing the Beatles, mm-hmm. that phenomenon exponentially increased because of emotional contagion. Interesting. And so sometimes what I think you see is like, are people going down when in, when you're praying for them because you have the power of God or because they saw other people go down when you prayed for them? That's a great question. So those are the things that like per- Pentecostals don't like me when I start talking like yeah, that. Yeah. But then on the flip side, if you're praying for people and you bear touch them and they do go down and then they but and then they've never seen that which i've had happen Mm -hmm. and they get up and they're like what was that Mm -hmm. how did i just fall down Mm -hmm. it's very difficult for me to dismiss that as a concept can it happen i'm like yeah because it's i've had people get up here's the other thing about demons i was praying for a guy who was addicted to heroin Mm -hmm. i i wasn't even confronting the demonic i was literally like god you know help him through this restore his family blah 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 the guy starts sweating profusely. Mm. He doubles over. He's like, oh, I mean, he's, I mean, this demon is manifesting. He gets full deliverance. Sweat's dripping off this guy's face. Mm-hmm. And he was like, what was that? This mm-hmm. is my first time ever being in church. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what was that? Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, it's like, is it all fake? Is it all real? Yeah. I guess, I guess the real question is what's fake and what's real? Because mm. some of it is real and, and a lot of it's fake. Mm. So in V1 world... Because you see a lot of deliverance, you desire a lot of deliverance. Mm. So I have to disciple people, and I try to do that in such a way that would be honorable before God. But you, we do get an insane amount of people who specifically attend one of our physical campuses wanting deliverance. Mm-hmm. 
But I think our willingness to pe- tell people that actually you don't need deliverance mm. is partly why God's entrusted me with whatever this thing is. Mm. Because we will tell people you don't need a deliverance. And I think when... <laughs> that was, I mean, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. Was like, where is the line drawn between... Ah, uh, Dr. Michael Brown said something, and I'm sure you've heard it. You can't, uh, you can't crucify a yeah, demon. Yep. You can't cast out the flesh. Yes. And so, where's that line drawn between, hey, this is your natural man, yeah. which you've allowed to become extremely sloppy and undisciplined. <laughs> yeah, come on. And now you want Pastor Mike over here yeah. to deliver the demon of gluttony. Yeah. You need to just stop eating, buddy. <laughs> you need to get up and go on a walk. Don't you right. see all these other New Yorkers walking around here? Yeah. Go outside, right? Like, right. where's that line? Or, or someone that's like just... You know, has a mental illness. Yeah. Right. Like I know Alexander Pagani, we we had him on and he said he changed his mind on bipolar, where he, mm. you know, you could take brains and look at the brain scans right. and find out that like, no, someone with schizophrenia or bipolar, I'm not talking multi-personality disorder, where yeah. they're talking in different voices. I'm talking schizophrenia, bipolar, their brain is going to look different in the scan. Right. Um, that might be uh, a thorn in their flesh, as yeah. Paul describes, right? That may not be something that's latched on to their flesh that's demonic. So how do you how do you decipher that? Because that's the, like, yeah. when do you say, hey, uh, you need to go back to your therapist yeah, yeah, yeah. and talk to them right. and, and do what they say versus like, okay, no, there's something here right. that you potentially open the doors to. And, you know, we, we're going to pray this. We're going to pray this out with you. Yeah. One of my favorite stories is I, I did like a 41 location div, uh, revival tour this summer. Mm-hmm. And this one of our team members is praying for this woman. She's physically rolling across mm-hmm. the front of the church. Mm-hmm. I mean, physically rolling. Mm-hmm. And the person's yelling, Jezebel, come out, Jezebel, come out. My wife goes over there and literally just looks at the woman. She's like, hey, just stop faking it. Just get up. The woman, <laughs> mid rolling around and screaming, goes, okay. I mean, I watched this woman. Her eyes open. She's like, Okay, and she sits up. the The prayer team member yeah. is like, "Whoa, what just happened?" Julie's yeah. like, "You've got to, you've got to learn discernment." Yeah, and I never want to dismiss the supernatural yeah. ability to discern. Yes. I, I do believe the Holy Spirit. I tell people all the time, you don't get better at deliverance; mm-hmm. you become more surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Mm. Because because that has to be part of it. Like every time I teach on deliverance, people want me to teach formulas because formulas are very easy to remember. Mm-hmm. They're easy to memorize. It gives people confidence. But I'm not as formulaic about deliverance because there was something in my wife that was watching all that happen and was like, this is fake. So yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, because yes, that tension of like, I think people naturally have can naturally have a desire for some degree of cosplay or some degree of yeah. like we're gonna it, 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 we're it gonna do this thing. Yeah, and it is therapeutic. And then but then you go, wait a minute, like, well, let's not play with God. That's what it I, yes, because I think I w- I was even thinking about this. When you study uh some of the the fringe Eastern religions that mm-hmm. jumped off, mm-hmm. even right now it's like when you look at the Reiki healing sessions and these things and mm-hmm. you know, that whole tears for fear, shout, shout, let it all out. Mm-hmm. That whole like I do think that sometimes deliverance for people can become that phenomenon of, in my normal life, I can't act this way. Mm. And there's something so liberating about this, about the the psychology mm-hmm. of I can scream, I can act out, I can. And you've got, like you said, and I love that phrase, "Don't play God." You know, like don't 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 mess with this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so for us, we're always like, is it? And then I guess the other answer to your question is trying to discern um, there's demons and then there's the culture they create. Mm. So even if someone legitimately needs deliverance, mm. which even 
like I said, even other streams of Christianity believe, whether it's Catholicism doing exorcisms, John Piper casting a demon out in college. Mm-hmm. Um, the other side of it is what strongholds have been built up in your mind. What, mm-hmm. like you said, what therapy, what, what um, do you, because V1 Church is very into discipleship, mm-hmm. it's like, are you creating habitations and nests? Mm-hmm. Like living in New York City, all the houses are connected. So you're not just sharing a, a wall on either side. You're essentially sharing that entire block's walls. Mm-hmm. And so it's very difficult. Even the most cleanly family will still have cockroaches mm-hmm. and rats and stuff like that because you're just you're connected in that way. And so it's like we've had to learn the discipline of like what you think clean is and what you think putting the food away is versus what it really is mm-hmm. in New York City mm-hmm. where there's where there's cockroaches and rats everywhere. Wow. And so I think in the same way, if, so that's, if, a good, that's a good parallel. Yeah, like, like if demons thing. are everywhere, yeah. like what you think clean, living clean is mm-hmm. versus what it really is, mm-hmm. you might want to... So, so let me ask you this about, about demons. Like, there's a finite number. Right. Right? Like, yeah, cause, yeah, cause, cause of course. They, 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 demons can't reproduce more demon babies. Right, correct. Right? correct. Yeah. So they've been here since whenever the fall. Right. I don't, I don't right. know the timeline, right? So... How many demons are there? Right, right. Because sometimes you, and I'm kind of alluding to this idea that like everything is a demon, right? Right. Versus what you said, which is like there's a culture that demons create, yeah. Right. And then there's the wickedness of our heart and the depravity of our heart, and that like people with power, whether it's running a denomination church or whether it's running governments, they're going to do some wicked stuff, right? Especially if they're not born again. So how 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 do you process that? Like how many demons are there and like because right. everybody can't have a demon at the same time and i'm assuming our world population has doubled in the last 50 years so we have 7 billion people 50 years ago we had 3.5 billion people right mm-hmm. i'm assuming that there's not it's maybe a bad assumption on my part but there's not billions in, in or trillions of demons right whatever well, we don't know we don't know that's the hard part right? and so like how, how do you how do you navigate that right. that part of it because i think that's a very because 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 the the other side of it is that everybody gets nitpicky over every single thing right. that other people do. That may be just a, 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 a personal conviction thing. Right. You know, it's a really good question. I think, well, biblically, you have the man with legion, mm-hmm. which is very weird to think, for we are many. Mm-hmm. And then you're just, you're thinking about like a, whatever, five, six man, where are all these demons? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Physically in his being, Mm -hmm. the woman who uh, was doubled over for years and years of her life, Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't say, back be healed. Mm -hmm. He actually cast out the spirit of infirmity and Mm -hmm. she stood up straight. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, so this demon is in her back. Mm -hmm. So I think that when you when you think about uh, somebody being demonized, mm-hmm. it, it's a very um, you. It's it, again, you have to understand it from the spiritual perspective. You've got one guy mm-hmm. who has many, 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 many demons. Mm-hmm. We're all they're all cohabitating inside of this one guy. Mm-hmm. You have an, you have a couple of people in scripture with a uh, spirit of infirmity, mm-hmm. and so okay, so it's affecting their physical body. So I think, and the problem with most churches is that they never, 99% of churches will pray for physical healing, mm-hmm. but it feels like 1% of pastors have the biblical wherewithal to say, from the stage, spirit of infirmity. Mm. And I think that what we're trying to work out all the time is like, okay, I'll give you my example. I had a lower back injury from back in the day, mm-hmm. like, and, and maybe like 25 years of, of extreme lower back pain. Mm-hmm. 
and I put oil on it. I anointed my back. You know, I, I did everything I could. I prayed for it. I thought, could it be a demon? You know, you go through, you run the gamut. Like, why, I'm a young dude. Why does my lower back hurt? It wasn't until I moved to New York City that I went to physical therapy, and it was like 17 weeks in of like these electrodes shooting my back mm -hmm. and intense, you know, workouts and all this mm -hmm. stuff. I woke up one day and I'm like, my back doesn't hurt. Mm. And obviously that wasn't a demon, yeah. but the the extremity of the discipline it took to get there, I was never going to do it on my own. Wow. So I think for me, it was like they. Matter of fact, when I was doing the workouts. Uh, in this facility, they would watch me do it. Mm. And it was awkward because I was doing these like lunges up. It was it was weird. <laughs> and I was like, wow, you're really going to watch yeah. me do this, you yeah. know? Yeah. But it was almost like, yeah, but the accountability, mm -hmm. like people tell us that they're working their lower back out and they really aren't. Mm. So I think to answer your question about demons and how what is a demon, what's not, yeah. it's like, it's like this. It's like looking in your backyard mm -hmm. and being and telling somebody, look, there's no insects. Mm -hmm. But it's but until you get down and crawl through that grass, mm -hmm. you're not gonna see them. Mm. It's like it's like saying there's no insects, but you never turned over any rocks. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot to kind of like counterbalance this argument the other direction. Mm -hmm. I think what a, what a lot of deliverance ministers are doing is they're getting down into the grass mm -hmm. and saying just because from from your perspective there's no insects in this backyard mm -hmm. doesn't mean they're not there. Mm -hmm. And I'm just the guy that's going to comb through these blades of grass till you see them or turn over these rocks because mm. there are a lot of them, not none of them. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And so the whole backyard's not not insects, but there's a lot more there than you can see. Sure. That's so I think like for me, um, is every person that gets the de gets deliverance through a deliverance ministry yeah. getting delivered from a demon? Absolutely not. Yeah. But um, are there a lot more demons than we realize there are? I think so. You think there's more demons than, than humans? I, I think it's quite possible that there are, but there's just no way of quantifying it, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because, yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah, I, I guess I guess my heart goes... Hey, I want I want you to go back in that backyard and like pull all the weeds out. Yes. Well, that would be <laughs> like, the other like, side like, of that. Like make yeah. sure you kill the gophers, pull all the weeds out, right. and then like figure out what you're gonna do with your right. backyard. Or do you, are you going to put a concrete slab down and build uh, yeah. an additional dwelling unit like we That's do in it. California, or are you just gonna let it go to you know go to waste That's and it. have weeds everywhere? And then, you know what do we got to do in terms of getting it out? Just think of the passage. Um, I think it's in Song of Solomon where she, where it talks about the little foxes. Yeah. You know those little foxes will eat up yeah. the, and destroy the whole garden. You know. Yeah. And then simultaneously, uh, Jeremiah 29 encourages the children of Israel in Babylon right. to plant gardens. Yeah. Marry, plant gardens, yeah. right? Think long-term, think generationally, yeah. uh, uh, plan for the prosperity of the city, right. which you've been taking into exile with, right? right? That hope is everybody likes the, I have plans to prosper you, like, right. but they don't read everything before that. Yeah. And so th I guess that's where my heart goes, like, yes, yes, it's possible. I just want people to be willing to do the work themselves. That's what it is. Because I because I get nervous when it seems like, and this again, this is a, a seems statement. It might be I might be wrong on this. It seems like if everything is a demon, then I don't have to take the responsibility of going and cleaning up my own backyard yeah. or making my bed or cleaning up my yeah, home. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Matter of fact, this whole revival tour I did. Mm -hmm. Like, like revival is a cuss word in the reform community. You know, like if you say that, it's like you can maybe say awakening, but you got to qualify that and, yeah. you know, whatever. But so revival is like a cuss word. I really believe in before, during and after care. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's got to be holistic. Amen. You know what I mean? And yeah. so that was like I only felt comfortable 
Because I was drawing seven, eight hundred, nine hundred, a thousand people a night all yeah. around the United States, other countries. Yeah. And it kind of to me, it was the big fake out mm-hmm. was you came for deliverance, but here's the deliverer. Mm-hmm. You came for Amen. a healing, here's the healer. But then also join my text community, join mm-hmm. this because we want to follow up with you and we want to go to the distance. Mm-hmm. And I think Mary Magdalene is a good template for what you just said. Mm-hmm. We, you see a picture of Mary Magdalene, she has seven demons, we know. Mm-hmm. So quantifiably, there's seven demons. Mm-hmm. And she obviously gets delivered. Mm-hmm. And then upon the resurrection, she has the angelic encounter and mm-hmm. says, now go tell. Mm-hmm. And so she went the distance. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it's like, I have no problem ministering to Mary Magdalene's mm-hmm. if they also want to become evangelists on the other side of salvation. Yeah. I have no problem, like, okay, yeah, we're going to get you free. But it's not about the absence of demons. It's about the presence of your destiny. That's good. It's about the presence of God. Like, what are you doing now? Yes. And so I I think what happens is that hyper fixation on deliverance is it could become toxic. That's it, man. Mic drop. (laughs) That's it. That's it. That's it. Tell them where uh, they can find you. Yeah. And uh, your YouTube's thriving. I was just going to say, 100K coming up. Please, yes. 100K coming up. Uh, Yeah, just subscribe on YouTube. I teach these things at length. Yeah, and when uh, you and, know, and services, you guys do a couple services on Sunday mornings. Yeah, uh, Brooklyn, Long Island, and Indiana. That's it, and and then global online, yeah. and people can gauge. Like for example, we have a Zoom that's open to pray for people all around the world. Every we do seven yeah. services, three locations. Zooms are open. Yeah, yeah. There you go. All right, guys. There it is. Thank <laughs> you so much, Pastor Mike. I appreciate Thank you, you so that much. Was great.